listening to the sermon podcast of Brockport First Baptist. We are a progressive American Baptist congregation located about 20 minutes outside of Rochester, New York. To learn more about our church and support our ministries, please visit BrockportFirstBaptist.org. Our scripture for today is Matthew 5, verses 2 through 12. And he began to speak and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thank you for reading, Julie. Um, Nobody would have noticed that that was a mistake. (laughs) So great job. Um, I wanted to make sure that we grounded ourselves fully right back into the scriptures that we jumped into last week and give us another chance to hear the whole of the Beatitudes. Uh, Last week we talked about blessing in being at the end of our rope, the blessing found in mourning, and the blessing in humility. Okay, let's see if you can remember last week's takeaways. Anybody? Trying harder doesn't work. Be a disciple. Thank you. One more, one more. Get in touch with your feelings. All right. I was going to, I even have great job class, but I'm not saying that now. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. (laughs) There's no shame here. Um, Today, we are going to jump right back into Beatitudes. And what does Beatitude mean? Does anybody remember that? Blessed, the state of being blessed. Yay. Um, We're not looking at these as a list of rules to follow not looking at them as the way to be, but instead we are trying to find what Jesus is really sharing with his disciples within these blessings. Many of them are counterintuitive, countercultural. We're not finding the traditional human characteristics that we as a culture say is blessed, but instead we're finding the common characteristics of the followers of Jesus and how Jesus says they are blessed. I'm going to start with last week's conclusion for today's beginning. We find Jesus blessing the oppressed and the poor for their powerful trust in God their willingness to wait on God for justice and the kingdom, and for their devotion that runs so deep they mourn over the condition of Israel and implicate themselves in the causes of that condition. Now we're moving into verse 6. 
Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. We get to look up another Greek word today. I'm going to say this one incorrectly. I have worked on it, and I even have it written out, but I know I'm going to say it wrong. So the word translated as righteousness is the Greek word dikaiosune. So many times I practiced it, and I'm certain that was wrong. But dikaiosune, there are a few different ways that this word can be translated and understood. We need to remember the context that Jesus is teaching. He's teaching the Israelites. He's calling to the remnant, calling them back to God and to Torah observance. And he would have had many people in his midst who were marginalized and poor. When you think about who the people are who are following him in the beginning, they were able to drop everything and just follow. So think about how hard that would be for somebody who was wealthy and had all the world trappings. Chances are he was mostly surrounded by the poor at this point. So remembering that, and, and that he wasn't surrounded by a lot of Gentiles. He was really speaking to the Israelites. So diakos, oh, now I'm going to fully mess that up. This word... Yep, this means covenant faithfulness or Torah observant. For us, that would mean rightness before God or this big word righteousness. Jesus is talking to these poor Israelites, promising them that as they continue to be faithful to the covenant, as they are hungry and thirsty for actual food and drink, They are to remain hungry and thirsty for what God has for them, as they will be completely full and satisfied one day. And possibly we'll get to see a piece of God's justice here on earth before heaven. Again, when we are at the end of our rope, we cling to God and God alone. After we make sure to understand righteousness as faithful to the covenant, or faithful to God's word in scripture, we find that we can start to focus our minds on big issues like justice, mercy, peace, faithfulness, worship, holiness, love. We're no longer able to just rest in the, well, Jesus made me righteous, so I'm just able to show up for an hour on Sunday mornings. That doesn't work anymore. Next, we're pushed into seeing how Jesus himself understood Torah observance. He lived by the Torah. And if we are asked to live as Jesus did, this should mean something to us. Are we really loving others well and loving God fully with all of what we have? Are we truly hungering and thirsting for what God has for us, or are we still feeling empty? feeling like we are missing something. Maybe we're a little self-involved. Maybe we're really good at making excuses. Maybe we're filling our time up with mindless things and life is swiftly passing us by. Therefore, if we are not hungering and thirsting for God's justice and equity, for living as Jesus did, we are missing out on something. But as we begin to recognize our own part to play in the world around us, we do start to understand that dependence and obligation 
loss and memory, power and responsibility, privilege, and using that privilege to lift others is way more important than much of what we are spending our time doing. When people worry about my burning out, because I have had that question posed to me a few times, when we're concerned for me, this is what I do. This is what I turn to. This is what keeps me going. I know that I will be filled because God fills me each and every time I start to feel like I'm going to lose all control. Remember, this verse is not on its own, though. These verses are all found together, and they're in a series, the next of which is, Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. I hope that some of you are asking, who are the merciful? What is mercy, anyhow? And I hope you're not alone in this, because that is a difficult concept but it goes hand in hand with all the verses around it. The merciful are those who are loving others well and loving God and have experienced God's love back, and they can't help but love those around them even more, empathizing and showing compassion in times of need. They're the ones, I'm thinking you probably already have somebody in your mind because I could name quite a few people who are sitting right here in this church. They are the ones that deny their own selves at times. Entering into the injustices and the tragedies experienced by others. They are the good Samaritans that you've met. And here's where the countercultural idea comes in. They're doing good for others just to do good for others allowing interruptions to plans made in order to help out a fellow human, just to help them out. Jesus even goes so far as to tell us that this mercy is to be extended to those we look at as enemies, as we will see through more verses in a few weeks. Now, mercy is not just a good attitude toward others. It's not niceness or tolerance of other people's beliefs. Though that's nice, that's a good way to be, that's really not what God is asking for us. This is deeper. It's the action of helping those in need, those suffering the injustice, those who are poor, those who are oppressed, and those who have failed. These are the concrete actions. Mercy is the feet to our faith, the actions of love, compassion, and grace for those of us, all of us, who have fallen short. James, in his letter, chapter 2, verses 12 and 13, says, So speak and so act as those who are to be judged by the law of liberty, for judgment will be without mercy to anyone who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Hosea, an Old Testament prophet sent to call to the remnant of Israel, says in verse 6 of chapter 6, For I desire mercy, not sacrifice and acknowledgement of God, rather than burnt offerings. Now, of course, 
I don't want us to fall into the slippery slope of trying harder because trying harder doesn't work. We can't wake up tomorrow and just be merciful. Um, but I do challenge you to start spending time with those who are less fortunate than you. Spend time to get someone, to get to know somebody who is different, who's had a different life path. If you want to grow your empathy, this is where we start. We can also read books from different perspectives, from different genres, different life stories. Allow yourself space to see something from a different angle. This will change you, and usually in a good direction. Once you've placed yourself in somebody else's shoes, it's really difficult to not see others in a loving way. I am going to end this beatitude with the message version. You're blessed when you care. At the moment of being careful, you find yourselves cared for. You will be blessed when you care. And when you think you've cared about all that you can, when you're empty and you're at the end of your rope, reach to God. You will be cared for in ways that you won't understand until you're there. I've shared this story with a few of you uh, this last week. Um, there was one day that I was hit by so much grief and mourning from others that I didn't know how to, I didn't even know how to handle it. Um, I felt like I was going to implode and I needed to go and perform a graveside service and I had nothing left to give. So first I came here and I felt like, okay, well, there's nobody here. I need to be with somebody. And so I went in my car and I didn't know where I was going to drive and I just sat at a uh, stop sign and I just started to pray. And I said, God, you know who I'm supposed to talk to right now to help me because I had two hours until I needed to be at that graveside service. He put the right person in my mind in the right moment. And I took a deep breath. This is not somebody that I have ever reached out to before. Quite frankly, it's somebody who intimidates the heck out of me, but I called her up. She's been in ministry for years and years and years, and I said, do you have a little bit of time? And then she said, well, sure, and I said, well, can I just come over to your house? And she said, sure. So I went over there, and I asked for 20 minutes, and an hour and a half went by, and we spent time talking and crying and laughing, and I felt so incredibly cared for and so incredibly grateful. So remember from last week, we are blessed when we begin to recognize that we are dependent on others and God. In this moment, I called out to God who led me right to where I needed to be, and I gave, and gave her all the right words that I needed to hear. I felt so incredibly cared for and loved in a way that I would never have felt if I had just kept trying harder in my own strength. Talk about mercy shared in my direction. Verse 8. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Now, I don't think that the order of the Beatitudes was a coincidence. 
All of the prior Beatitudes lead us to this next one. As we continue to look toward and cling to God, as we feel our emotions and mourn for the injustices and the loss of loved ones, as we continue on in humility, as we hunger and thirst for God's righteousness, we will experience a purification. We will experience this next beatitude. As we continue to be disciples, we will find ourselves pure in heart. The pure in heart are those who have sloughed off the clutter, the distractions of the world, money, and fame, and power, and status, and have put them all down. If you have not been following the ways of Jesus for long, you might not have experienced something like this before. The idea of being purified might feel foreign. However, many of you have lived a lot of life. Many of you have experiences that have done nothing but bring you to your knees, bring you to the edge, and you choose to continue to cling to God in those moments. When you are at your weakest, you will find yourself stronger because of God than you ever imagined. This is what purification feels like when we really don't think that we can take another breath or another step, but God shows up and holds our hand, and we take one moment at a time to get through. As we are being purified, we are seeing God in so many new ways that we have not experienced before. This beatitude is a direct callback to Psalm 24, in which we read, Who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? The one who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not trust in an idol or swear by a false god, they will receive blessing from the Lord and vindication from God their Savior. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek your face, God of Jacob. We continue to seek God and we will eventually see God. If we continue to seek after the things of this world, the power, money, status, possessions, we will see the world. The emptiness that we may be feeling will continue, but seeking after God, putting down our worldly needs, our worldly idols, if you will, will lead to seeing God in a way that you've never experienced. You will see God in those whom you struggle to, to like, let alone love. You will see God at work in the places that you want to run from, you will see God in the person who just cut you off on the interstate, <laughs> right? In the people who slow you down for your next meeting. As you become pure in heart, your response will be that of love and grace, putting down our old ways and picking up more of what Jesus would have. We find further on in Matthew Chapter 12, verse 34, one of my favorite verses that I love to say at home, <laughs> for out of the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. As our hearts become pure, as we become filled and cared for in new ways, our mouths, the things that we say, the attitudes that we have will change. I have seen this happen. I've watched people grow and change in such magnificent ways. 
There are many people who truly do not believe that this level of change is possible. I have gone toe-to-toe -to -toe with many people because I have seen it happen. I have seen people come to God and change everything about who they are. I am standing here because I went to God and had to change everything about who I was in those moments of des despair. If somebody wants to be different, they can change if they turn to God and make those steps. And then as we become more pure in heart, we will naturally lead to this next blessing. Verse 9, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. This is a huge one. This is huge. A peacemaker is someone who is reconciled to God, knows that God is for peace, and seeks reconciliation instead of strife in all things. Now, this is not a brush-it-under-the-carpet kind of peace. That is often what people in our culture like to say is peaceful. That's not what God is calling us to. Instead, he's calling us to be reconciled, which is a way of saying that we are called to talk it out, to have the disagreement, but hopefully to end it well, at least as far as you can do on your end. Of course, because we can only control ourselves, our own attitudes, our own reactions. We have zero control of the other side. God does not tell us that we have to be successful he just asks us to show up, allowing God to use us in this way. In Jesus' time, this might have been considered pretty revolutionary, too. Um, we all know the Old Testament, eye for an eye. Jesus uses that later on, we'll hear. There was a development in the first century of vigilante-like zealotry that was moving into full-blown zealots who were part of the Jewish resistant movements. Instead of seeking justice through violence, which still today remains a Christian temptation, we are to turn from retaliation and to reconciliation. We can look to and learn from people like Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who died at the hands of the Nazis. He states what would eventually wind up being his fate <clears throat> that peace will never be greater than when you encounter evil people in peace and are willing to suffer from their hands. Now, true peace is not the washed-out version of being nice or being tolerant either. True peace is an active entrance into the middle of warring parties for the purpose of creating reconciliation and real peace. This can be found between two sides of human issues like apartheid or racism. This can be between political parties, family issues, church splits, spouses on the brink of divorce. I'm certain you can think of something going on around you that's being brought to mind right now. The true peacemaker seeks true reconciliation not pretending that there are no differences or suppressing those differences, but by creating love of the other that transcends the differences 
or that permits the people to join hands in spite of those differences. Remember, Jesus teaches love and humility and servanthood and putting others ahead of ourselves. These are the foundations for true peacemaking. I wish we were all better at this. Can you imagine if all the Christians you knew were choosing to follow Jesus in this way? (laughs) True change could actually be accomplished if we were all following the ways of peace. Peacemaking and justice and righteousness go hand in hand. We can't have one without the other. We even see in Psalm 85.10, which kind of sums up a lot of the Beatitudes altogether, love and faithfulness, steadfast love and faithfulness will meet, righteousness and peace will kiss each other. Peacemakers will be entered into the family of God, will be called children of God, but also peacemakers will be persecuted For they inevitably ask parties to sacrifice for the greater good, which leads us to that final beatitude. Blessed are those who are persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now, you'd think, walking around doing your best to give out mercy and grace, you're loving others well, you're doing it all with humility and having peace as your directive, that nothing bad could happen to you. But instead, you're going to be persecuted. In small ways, in large ways, you will be persecuted. Matthew does not share one blessing over those who are persecuted, but two. That right there should speak volumes on the promise that is found here. And then, you see there in verse 12, We're supposed to rejoice and be glad when it happens. I don't know about you, I don't know how much I'd be rejoicing and being glad. The persecuted are those who seek God's will in spite of what others want, who love God so much they are faithful when oppressed, and who follow Jesus so unreservedly they suffer for him. Love God love others. People will not always love you back, but God will be there when the fall happens. Bonhoeffer shared with the world, with God we lose everything, but with God we find everything. I'm going to say that again. With God we lose everything, but with God we find everything. I'm going to share the message version of these verses as well. Verse 10, you're blessed when your commitment to God provokes persecution. The persecution drives you even deeper into God's kingdom. 
Not only that, count yourself blessed every time people put you down or throw you out or speak lies about you to discredit me. What it means is that the truth is too close for comfort and they are uncomfortable. You can be glad when that happens. Give a cheer even, for though they don't like it, I do. And all heaven applauds. And know that you are in good company. My prophets and witnesses have always gotten into this kind of trouble. My guess is that many of us in this room have never really experienced true persecution. I cannot stand up here and say that I really have either. Not in the way that these first Christians were up against. I don't think that these verses are hinting at the way that some Western Christians use the term either. Having people not say Merry Christmas or removing the Ten Commandments from schools or taking away Christian prayer out of public spaces, that's not persecution, guys. These are minor hiccups while as a society we try to make space and have grace for people. I wouldn't even call it persecution when I was asked to leave a certain ministry at a certain church from a while back. Persecution is what Bonhoeffer experienced in Germany. It's what happened to Martin Luther King Jr. It was seen through the efforts of George W. Lee that led to his murder. It's what happened to John the Baptist and Jesus himself. And we are to sit in this commitment to God, allowing God to direct our path, our steps toward what they would ask us to do. And then when we are faced with opposition, when faced with true persecution, we will have situated ourselves right where we were asked to be. And we will rejoice all the more that we are finally making enough waves to cause real change around us. I think that's what would make me rejoice and be glad is those waves are being made. So, overall, what did we learn from the Beatitudes? They're not a list to try and follow. We cannot just be the ways of Jesus in our own strength. Instead, it's a list of what happens when we cling to God, when we love others well, and when we show up as a disciple in each part of our life. It's not a way for us to have material happiness, but instead being blessed by Jesus may have nothing to do with one's observable condition in life and everything to do with whether one loves God, loves self, and loves others as the self. The behaviors that emerge out of that kind of love, that is what makes one blessed. Instead of thinking of this list as an all-encompassing list, we also need to think of the ways that we love God and love others well and come up with some more beatitudes that we can hold on to of what we see in the world around us. I came up with a few to get you started. Blessed are those who care for broken bodies or lonely children. Blessed are those who sit by the dying at night. Blessed are the foster parents sitting up all night with children who have suffered traumas worse than our brains can even comprehend. Blessed are the ones who rearrange their lives for an ailing family member. Blessed are those who can sing of God asking whom shall I send 
and can respond, it is I, Lord, I have heard you calling in the night, send me. There are some amazing disciples who have been so blessed sitting among you right now. Get to know people. Get to know their stories. You will be blessed because of it. Take their stories and step into them. Grow your empathy and your compassion. All right, for today's takeaways, I may or may not quiz you next week. I'm just kidding. James is going to be preaching next week, so he may or may not. Um, The first one is be a disciple. I keep saying this. This is three weeks in a row. I am going to really try hard to not keep using this takeaway. However, if this is new to you, I want you to start reading your Bibles, start praying, start having conversations to try and understand what this whole Jesus thing is all about. And if you've been walking with Jesus for a while now, I want you to start reading your Bible. I want you to pray. I want you to have conversations. Our journeys are all going to look different, but acknowledge that you're on a journey and start taking some steps toward daily leaning into God. I keep talking about God, clinging to God when we're at the end of our ropes, but until you start to cling to God at the beginning of your rope, you might not remember God when you're at the end. Being a disciple is very similar to training for a marathon. You don't wake up one day and just run 26 miles. You take your time. You add a little more into your run every week. You slowly ease your body into running that amount of distance. This is the same thing as being a disciple. It takes time, years of walking with Jesus to really start to see the effect that he can have on you and your life. Next takeaway, embrace the journey. I'm sure you've heard it said that the path is narrow and the journey is hard, but it's important to remember that the blessings are found in each step forward. If you continue to follow Jesus, if you continue to give of yourself to God and to others, eventually you will be filled to absolute and utter satisfaction, finding a kingdom society where love, peace, justice and holiness shape the entirety of creation. I want this for each and every one of us. I love that you're here, but an hour on the Sunday morning, it's important, but there's so much more that Jesus has for us here in this lifetime. Ways in which that we can truly help humanity around us. Is this easy? No. Jesus never tells us it's going to be easy. He says you will be persecuted. Lastly, now it's not a takeaway, it's homework. What is God asking you to do? Here it is. I want you to take time this week in prayer. Take time doing Electio Divina through the Beatitudes or through another section that God may be placing on your heart. Take time to really sit in the presence of God and say, here I am, and wait on God to respond. God will respond. I can tell you from my own life that it sometimes takes days, weeks, months, or years. 
I'm smiling at my husband because sometimes it's years for God to begin to reveal what God has for you. But there will be a response. Sit with God daily and wait on their timing. I want to encourage all of us that being a disciple is not for those of us who are already perfect. Anybody perfect in here? No? Good. Oh, my husband just raised his hand. Nope. (laughs) None of us are perfect. None of us have arrived. I just ask that you keep showing up to Jesus. Start looking at your life as if you are living for God and not wholly for yourselves and ask God what they want you to do with the time that you have remaining here on earth. I look forward to being a participant in whatever it is that you do feel led to do. I want to be your biggest cheerleader. I'm really good at that, so don't deny me. If God is telling you to do something, please come and talk to me. I love those conversations. I invite you to join me in prayer. God, thank you. Thank you for showing us what it looks like to be your follower. Thank you for helping open our eyes to see the world and its people as you do. Guide us to where you want us to head. Give us your strength. Help us to grow in righteousness, mercy, purity of heart, and reconciliation. We pray, Lord, for your hand to be felt and present each step of the way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed what you heard, please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. You can connect with us on Facebook at Brockport First Baptist, on Twitter at BrockportFB, and on our website, BrockportFirstBaptist.org. Our theme music was composed by Scott Holmes. This has been a production of Brockport First Baptist.